Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. Uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn in them to First uh, Kings chapter 18 uh, and Ezra chapter 3. Uh, as we get into the Word, I want to bring us to a place where I believe God is going to start stirring and moving some things in our heart. And I want to talk to you about building an altar or rebuilding an altar. In Ezra chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, it says this. It says, In early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a united purpose. Then Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, joined his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, with his family in rebuilding the altar of God in Israel. And they wanted to sacrifice offerings on it as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site and they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening. And what's happening in Ezra is the people are coming back from Babylonian captivity. There's a small group of them, and there's fear. Things are broken down. There are enemies in the land. There's voices coming out against them, and what they do when they get there, they're supposed to go and rebuild the temple and repair the foundation and build the walls of the city, but they start in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of fear by building an altar. If you go to 1 Kings chapter 18, there's another story about an altar. And I just want to reference these this morning because I believe God wants to stir something in us that maybe we haven't jumped into or dove into in a while. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, we come to this famous Bible story this contest on Mount Carmel. And this is where Elijah comes back and he has this contest against the 450 prophets of Baal. Then there were also 400 prophets of Ashtaroth in Jezebel's house. So this is like Elijah feeling like this is 850 to 1. And the people were torn in their decision on how and who they were to worship and what they were supposed to do because of all the things that were going on around them. And I'm not going to read this big portion of scripture, but the the point comes down in verse 20 to 30. We see uh, this story starting to unfold. And Elijah says, hey, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? He calls the people together. He sets up this uh, time where he says, get two bulls. Uh, The prophets of Baal, you guys can build an altar, you can call on Baal, you can do whatever it takes, and whoever's God answers by fire, let it be known today that that is the Lord, that is God. And, And he lets the prophets of Baal go on and on, and they start... They're cutting themselves, they're shouting, they're doing all these crazy things, they, they build their altar. Uh, Elijah even starts taunting them, saying like, well, maybe Baal's in the bathroom, maybe he's busy right now, maybe, maybe he can't hear you, shout louder, and, and he lets us go on all afternoon into the evening, and then at the evening sacrifice time, he says, okay, it's my turn. And if we look at the scripture, it says this in verse 30. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. So they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, 
And he used the stones to rebuild the Lord's altar. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces, laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water, pour the water over the offering and over the wood. And after he had done this, he said, do the same thing again. So now do it third, a third time. So they did as he said, and then the water ran down the altar and even into the earth. And at the customary time for the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust that even licked up all the water in the ditch. And the people saw it. They fell on their faces, and they cried out, The Lord is God. The Lord is God. And sometimes we look at these stories in Scripture, and we think, I mean, fire from heaven consuming the entire altar, the wood, the bull. It licks up the water in the ground. It demolishes everything. And so often in the Old Testament, this was what people would look at and they would say that's God is to be feared and to be afraid of. Well, it was a demonstration of his power that he was God. But what Elijah prayed was, Lord, answer me so you can bring your people back to yourself. The miraculous works of God and these big events and these things were always to pull God's people back to right relationship, closer to him. And this is what God is always doing. When God brings sanctification, when he brings uh, miracles, when he brings healing, when he moves in our midst, when there's prophetic, when there's all of these things, there are demonstrative things at work all for the purpose of drawing people back to himself because remember we talked about it last week, you were created for relationship with God. We were created for relationship with God, but we've been so separated from that. And we've been talking about being a people of presence and a, and a people of worship. And what does it mean to carry that presence? And what does that look like? And a few reminders over the last few weeks that I want to just remind you of this morning. We have to remember that God is a person. Remember, we talked about that. God is a person, and a person has emotions and feelings, and he has likes and dislikes. And it's not like when you're in a relationship and you're just trying to figure it out and you're taking a shot in the dark. God has laid out his likes and dislikes through his word. He has put it before us. He said, this is how I want to be worshipped. This is how I want to be in relationship with you. This is how you approach me. This is how you walk with me. And we have to be those that respond on getting to know him. There's a pattern for worship in Scripture. The pattern for worship was spirit and truth. A lot of people want to worship in spirit and get all crazy and be full of gifts and charismania and, and all of that stuff, but they don't want to let it be subject to the truth of God and order and all those things. But a lot of people are like, well, I worship truth and I read the Bible. But they're never worshiping in spirit. They don't abandon themselves to the Lord like David did. Like we talked about the seven, seven Hebrew words for praise or the expressions of worship. So there is a pull in our lives to worship God by the truth of his word, but to abandon ourselves in our spirit to give him the praise, honor, and glory that he deserves. And so when we talk about being a people of presence and we talk about drawing near to God, we we learn that we have to respond, right? How many would say response is important, you know, in any relationship? Guys, if you don't have your hand up, uh, we'll run the marriage course again this fall, maybe, <laughs> you know? 
Response is important. I'll give you two examples from my own life and marriage. We're going to have a baby in like three weeks here. Brandy prays by... Brandy, Brandy is praying for Tuesday. Maybe. Sometime in the next couple weeks. I remember when our oldest was born. We were a young couple, just one baby. And... In the morning, one morning, Brandy gets up, says, hey, I'm going to go have a shower, lays Sienna next to me, swears that I responded to her that I was watching the baby, but what I woke up to was thud, and my wife screaming, and me in trouble, and a baby on the floor. (laughs) I'm a human man. I fail. (laughs) Response is important, right? Like, so if my response was kind of like, uh-huh, yeah, whatever, like, now, you know, 20 years into marriage, Brandy knows I'm kind of useless if I'm half asleep. Because the other side of it was later on in life when we had our sons and there was time to get up. And I'd be like, I'd be so nice and loving. And as a husband, I'm like, Brand, I just want to help. I'll be there for you. Don't worry. I'll get up with the baby tonight. But apparently when the baby cries, I don't move faster than she can be annoyed at me not moving and getting the baby. <laughs> Apparently, my reflexes and response time as a father is not quick enough. So by the time I'd be like, get out of bed, she's awake, laying there angry at me. She might as well have just got up by herself and and done everything. (laughs) So Pastor Seb's like, preach. She should have just got up and done all of it. Praise God. Work out your own salvation in your marriage with fear and trembling. (laughs) And response is important. And and when it comes to our relationship with God, thank goodness He's gracious, He's loving, but what God has always been doing and leaning in towards humanity is giving opportunity for us to draw near to Him to respond. Because the Scripture says in James 4.8, if we draw near to God, He'll draw near to us. He doesn't want to overtake. He doesn't want to be heavy-handed. He doesn't want to be controlling in the relationship. But He has said, here are the boundaries. Here's the way we're going to relate together. And I'm going to give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to respond. And sometimes we are so half asleep or passive in it, then we wonder why we're not feeling the presence of God, experiencing the presence of God, and we're saying, why do I walk through life feeling so far from God, even though I know He loves me, He gave Himself for me, I'm saved, and we we have this passive response in worship, in prayer, in our relationship with Jesus, and, and we begin to wonder why. And as we've been talking about all of these things, I believe a people of presence it becomes more clear to us that this is what we're called to be, but our responsiveness and a responsiveness is required for us in our relationship with God. So what does this have to do with altars? Well, I believe in these two stories, there are seasons and times where things have gone so sideways or they've kind of been just a mess and upside down and everywhere. We say, God, I want to be close to you, but I don't know how anymore. And we need a place to start. And what I want you to know this morning is just simply three things. The first thing that I want you to know is this, that when things seem broken down and out of sorts in your life, the best place to start is by building an altar. When you come to those seasons and those situations where it feels like God, it feels like 
my family's scattered. It feels like my job's not where I want it to be. It feels like, God, that I, I don't know what to do with my kids. Lord, I don't know what the next steps are in all of these things. God, I have some fear. I have some anxiety about the future. I want to walk with you closely. This was the picture that the people had in Ezra and Nehemiah when they had to go back to Jerusalem. They had been in captivity for so long that as they go back as a remnant to try and rebuild the things of God, they kind of come back to this place and the walls are broken down. This isn't how it was supposed to be. This isn't how we pictured our future. And it just feels like there's pieces scattered everywhere. And when life feels like that, the best thing you can do is not say, well, let's build the walls. Let's build the city. Let's build up everything for ourselves. I want to tell you that all the order of scripture was that they built an altar, a temple, and then the city. Sometimes we have it so backwards. We say, well, when I get everything in order in my life, with my business, with my finances, with my family, then I'll come back to church and then I'll work on my personal things with God. I would say reverse the order. Get back to the place where you say, God, I need to build an altar. I need to lay my life down before you. I need to get back in your presence. I need to work on me and you first, and then you're going to work in my family, and then I can worry about my business, my future, and all those other things. But in the world, the order says take care of those big things first because they look better on the outside, but if you're not healthy on the inside, it's not going to last. It's going to break down again. And so we got to come back to the place where we come to Jesus first and say, God, here's my life. I need to build an altar in your presence. I'm scared. I feel helpless. I don't know what's going to happen. But Lord, I know if I make you the centerpiece, the anchor of my life, I will have the strength to follow you one step at a time through whatever I need to go through. We got to start with an altar. In Scripture, the altar was a place of forgiveness. The very first representation of this was the brazen altar in the the tabernacle of Moses. It it, it showed the forgiveness of Jesus, the the, the covering of, of Jesus. Then the altar was a place of encounter. If you look at Jacob's life in Genesis chapter 28, he has this encounter with God in a dream. And so what he does is he wakes up and he builds an altar. He builds a place to say, this is the place where I've met God, where I where I've spoke to him, where I heard his voice. An altar is a place of covenant. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham made covenant with God and he built an altar. The altar is a place of intercession. The prophet Joel talked about bringing the leaders around and saying we need to build an altar where we intercede on behalf of the people and where we speak uh, and pray for and, and lean into the things that God has as we lead the people. But an altar is also a place of worship, and what worship really does is it gives God an opportunity to encounter our lives and alter the things and the direction and the feelings and the emotions that we have. The altar of worship is where we come and we say, God, here I am, and even though I'm a living sacrifice, I'm going to submit myself to your presence, and you can change the direction of my life. You can bring correction, guidance, and leadership to any area that you want to. But often we're scurrying around and we're trying to fix it on our own. But we need to be a people who learn how to build an altar. Psalm 62 verse 5 says this. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. And in this day and age, how hard is that? 
to say, Lord, I need to quiet everything else and reposition my life in your presence and put my hope in you. My hope is not in my marriage. My hope is not in my paycheck. My hope is not in this. It's not in that. My hope has to be in Jesus. Now, hear me right. Those other things are important, and you need to work on them. But at the end of the day, on this side of eternity, if your hope is in anything but Jesus, it will disappoint you. But the scriptures say we have a hope that does not disappoint. And so when life is broken down, when it's seemingly going sideways, we need to be those that are willing to build an altar and come to a place and say, Jesus, I need you more than anything, and I'm going to put my life before you and let you speak to me how you want to speak. <laughs> Secondly, this morning, I want us to know this. When it comes time for us to build an altar or rebuild an altar, it's amazing that in the story of 1 Kings chapter 18, it says Elijah rebuilt the altar of the Lord. Is it possible that at times in your life you had a place in the presence of God where you had laid your life, your family, everything that you are submitted to Jesus, but somewhere along the way stuff happened and those things got scattered and your heart got torn and the altar is not positioned the way it should be in the presence of God and you have to come back to a moment where say, God, i got to start gathering some things that I've taken off the altar and bring it back to that place and rebuild in your presence. Why? Because God, I've made you Lord of everything, but I've actually pulled a whole lot of stuff out of that place in my relationship with you because I've been trying to work on it on my own. And when we rebuild an altar, it requires us to stop wavering between our lives, wavering and wavering between two decisions and bring our lives to be presented wholly before the Lord. And this is what happened in 1 Kings chapter 18. When Elijah gets there, he asks the people in verse 21, he says this, he says, why are you wavering between two decisions? Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people were silent. They didn't have an answer for Elijah. Because this is what the people were trying to do. If the prophet was there, I bet you if Elijah ran into them on the road, a lot of the people would say this, Oh, yeah, I love the Lord. I know i got to be right with God. I know i got to get the old prophet, like, man of God. You know what? Yeah, I'm all for God. But then when they were in the presence of Ahab and Jezebel and the court officials, oh, I love the world. I'm going to look like culture. I'm going to be how everyone else is. And they were trying to live in both worlds, trying to live a life honoring God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. They were trying to live with all the benefits of Jezebel and her world system and say they were fully devoted and honoring God. And Elijah says, enough is enough. You guys are so caught between two decisions going back and forth. You're not doing either of them well. You know, for me, I've been in church my whole life since the Sunday after I was born, and, and all through my youth years when I was kind of like, you know, is God real? Like, should I really serve him? Like, you know, should I live for myself? When you've been around the presence of God for so long, you try, if you try to live like the world, like, you're not a good Christian, and you're actually not a good sinner. Like, you're ruined for either. I'm going to rebel and watch that movie I'm not supposed to watch. And then you go to youth group and feel guilty because, you know, you got to confess at the altar the next week even though your parents made you go to church, you know. 
And, 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 but there was this conflict in the hearts of the people because they were trying to do both. And we can't keep believing in our lives, church, that we can chase anything and everything, trying to please uh, both God in the world or people around us and expect our hearts to be fine and healthy and whole. And, and some of us have decided, I'm going to chase God in this area of my life because I need him so desperately to touch this area of my life. But we've taken other areas of our life and we've said, God, I, I'm going to figure this out on my own. I kind of like how the world does this. And I know it's not really what scripture says, but did you really mean that? And then we start making those arguments like Eve and Adam did with the serpent and saying like, well, did God really say you, you've had those thoughts in your heart and in your life? And it's time to rebuild the altar of the Lord and bring our whole lives back to his presence. We actually conflict in our hearts who is God when we try to live for both him and the world. Because something is God to you. And I think for many of us, we want it to be the Lord but I think we all have areas. Like, nobody falls into idolatry. They don't wake up in the morning and be like, I just want to be a, an idolatrous idol worshiper today. But it creeps in. And we recognize that we have idols and things that we know we haven't submitted to God. And there are moments where God calls us to a place where he says, hey, who are you going to worship? Is it going to be me or is it going to be that thing? And in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 30, we're going to read this. It says this. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones. This is interesting. He took 12 stones. A lot of scholars would say he should have only taken two. Because it was only the tribes of Judah and one of the half-tribes that were actually living for the Lord. The ten tribes of Israel had totally abandoned themselves to false gods. But this was prophetic. This was Elijah saying, I'm going to take one stone for each tribe and family because they belong to the Lord. And he, he starts to rebuild the altar. He says, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And then he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. And he piled wood on the altar. He cut the bowl into pieces. He laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill the four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering for the wood. He starts gathering together the things that had been scattered. And he started saying, this should belong to the Lord. This has gone off track. It needs to come back to its rightful place before God. Can I have the band come back up, please? It's time, church, that we start rebuilding the altar in our lives. I want to ask you this. When was the last time you took the large stones of your life and you laid them out before God? When was the last time you took the stone and said, God, this is my job and my career and I put it before you? When was the last time you said, God, this is my family, but I'm only called to steward them and lead them and shape them for your glory. I only have them for a short time, so I put my kids and my family before you on the altar. Lord, this is this area of my life, and, and I need to bring it back into alignment. When was the last time you started gathering the scattered pieces of your life saying, God, it's all yours, and I'm going to build the foundation? When was the last time we took the wood and we began to lay it on top of those stones? 
You see, because the minute you start putting your family before God, your career before God, your, all these other things, the next thing that pulls at your heart is your desires, your hopes, and your dreams. And God's saying, would you lay your hopes on the altar? Would you lay your dreams on the altar? Would you come to me? Would you give me even the desires of your heart and say, God, these are all yours. You can move in these areas. You can touch them. Because some of us have said, God, I'll give you everything, but I won't give you that. And then it says he cut the bull into pieces. The sacrifice went on the altar. And he laid it out. And we don't live in a day anymore where we sacrifice goats and rams and bulls. But we all know Romans 12, 1 says this. We've been talking about this in our series. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give your body to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable, for this is truly the way to worship God. And we got to come back to a place, church, where we're willing to say, God, if I'm going to be a person of your presence, if my life is going to change, I have to lay out the big rocks of my life. I need to give you everything, but beyond that, Jesus, I need to give you that dream, that hope, that desire. I'd even go as far to say that hurt, that bitterness, that thing that I've been holding deep inside that's caused the wellspring of my heart to stop up and not flow the way it's supposed to. And then even when I lay all those things up, because I'm so apt and I have such a propensity to walk my own way out, God, I got to climb up on that altar myself and say, God, I need to die daily. I need to present myself as a living sacrifice before you. And as they did this, 1 Kings 18, verse 38, says, Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, and it burned up the bowl, the wood, the stones, and the dust. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they cried, The Lord is God, the Lord is God. And this brings me to the last thing that I I want us to know this morning. We need to start with building an altar. We need to regather the pieces that we've excluded from what we tell God are fully His. But church, this is because God wants to draw you to Himself because God wants to send fire upon your life. Come on, that's a good thing. God wants to put a fire in your life like never before. He wants to change what consumes you. See, we're so busy being consumed by so many things, so many worries, so many anxieties, so much drive, so many wants and desires in life. And God says, if you would lay it all out before me and if you would get up on that altar, I want to touch your life with a fire that consumes you for the things of God, for the presence of God, for the passion of his name, that you might be someone who walks every single place you go carrying the fire and the presence of God in your life. Matthew 3.11 says this, John was baptizing, he says, I baptize you for repentance. He goes, but there's one coming and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Come on. God is not trying to consume you, to destroy you. He is just trying to get us to a place 
we are, where we are so consumed by his presence and who he is that the things that don't matter in this life are burned up and they fall away because we're fully consumed by the presence of God. This is what Moses experienced in Exodus 3, verse 2. He's shepherding and he's out in the field and he looks, behold, there's a bush and it's on fire, but it's not burned up. That's what our life should look like. People look at you like, why are you so passionate about God? Why are you so on fire for Jesus? Why do you have so much hope and trust in your future? And, why, and, and you're not consumed by the things of this world and destroyed like everyone else is because I'm consumed with a different type of fire. Hebrews 28 or 12 verse 28 and 29 says this. says, since we are receiving a kingdom that's unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Or it says in some, our God is a consuming fire. God's not looking to destroy you. He's looking to consume you for the right things. He's looking for us to lay our lives in order. Psalm 104 talks about us being messengers that are like the wind and carry fire. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. And what I've asked the team to do is this. I've asked them to lead us in a couple more songs. Because I want to give you opportunity to respond. Is your life scattered? Does it feel like it's in pieces? Right here, right now, why don't you just start building an altar? It's you and Jesus, no one else around. Lord, i got to gather these areas of my life. God, I'm afraid to step forward in this. God, I don't know what to do about this situation. But God, before I do anything, I'm going to build an altar in your presence and I'm going to start gathering the, the stones. I'm going to start gathering the pieces of my life. I'm going to start gathering the wood, the desires, the dreams, the hopes. I'm going to put them there and I'm going to put myself on that altar in a place to say, God, would you touch my life? Larry and I have been talking for weeks. And I'm just going to be honest about this, how we have a prayer team every Sunday after the service, and I'm so grateful for them. But it almost feels like there has been something of, of a blockade or a stopping where prophetically we look around the room, we see people who want to step into all that God has for them, but they've not quite been ready to lay everything down. And I'm telling you this morning, you don't have to be consumed by all that stuff. You can put it at the feet of Jesus and you can let your life be consumed by His grace, His love for you, the peace that He has for you to walk in, the hope of a future that He's going to lead you in. But it takes a step to say, God, I've withheld, I've held back, and i got to get to a place where I lay it all out before you. And I say, God, I'm willing to let you come touch my life. Would you blow upon me? Would you kindle a fire? Would you spark something inside of me that brings a change that only Jesus can do. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes and I really challenge you today. Just as a prophetic symbol or act, if you're in that place and you know i got to realign some of these things, come to the altar. Get in an aisle. Get out of the seat and the place where it's kind of like it's easy to stay here and not take a step. Make a step towards Jesus and ask Him 
to come and consume you with his presence, with his heart for your life. And as you do that, the prayer team will come and, and we'll pray for you if you want. We'll ask if you don't want anyone to pray with you, we, we'll, we'll let you have that time with God. But we're going to take this time to worship and give opportunity. Find a place, step out, move from where you're at and invite the presence of Jesus to come and consume your life. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.